Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, the Niners against the Chiefs on Sunday for all the marbles. It's a Super Bowl. It struck me, you know, as I was booking our next guest, that most of us haven't played in the NFL. Have you played in the NFL? I haven't played in the NFL. I've watched the NFL. I've covered the NFL. I've covered nine Super Bowls. I've been there. I've seen the hoopla. But I don't know what it's like to go through that as the season advances, and it's a long season, the playoffs. Then comes the Super Bowl, and now you have two weeks between the NFC Championship, the AFC Championship, and the Super Bowl. What is that like? I think it's why, you know, we have guests like our next guest on the show. Give us a peek into that world. Mike Walter, former 49er linebacker, guy who played at the University of Oregon, the pride of Sheldon High School, three-time Super Bowl champion, Joining us now, Mike Walter, how are you, man? Hey, it's good to be here, John. Thank you. Yep, thanks for making time for us. Uh, you know, I know I uh, I hit you up a couple times a year, and, you know, the Super Bowl coming, one of them. And I got to ask you, you know, uh, as as you look at Super Bowl Sunday coming up, you know, what pops into your mind with your Super Bowl memories? Uh, you know, just the memories of the guys that I played with, you know. I mean, I played with such great players you know so a lot of hall of famers and just uh and it's just a battle of getting there um all the work that it takes you know you talk about you know college you play 11 well at least when i was in college it was 11 games they play <laughs> right. 12 now or whatever but uh so i remember uh, you know guys coming in after i've been in the league for a while from college and all of a sudden you're you're playing what four preseason games or five sometimes with the 49ers 16 regular season games, and then, you know, depending on where you're in playoffs, maybe three more games. So you're playing, you know, 23 games, 24 games compared to 11. And, uh, I mean, there's a big difference in, uh, from college. And, uh, uh, yeah, so it's just a battle getting there. Let's talk about that. And, I, you know, I'll unpack. I want to go back to your high school days, your college days. But the three Super Bowls you were in, yeah, we're all very different games, obviously. And, you know, that first Super Bowl, which was, uh, you know, Super Bowl 19, you get the Miami Dolphins. It's a game that was played at Stanford Stadium in Palo Alto. So it was p- pretty much a home game, but not a home game for you guys. And how weird was that experience? And you had Don Shula and the Dolphins on the other side. Yeah, Dan Marino and what Mark Duper and. Uh... Uh, who was the other guy? Clayton, uh, Clayton, Clayton, Clayton. Yeah. Exactly. You know, they were supposed to come in and throw the ball all over the place. Uh, of course, Bill Walsh used that as uh, as kind of a as locker room materials. Like, look at these guys. How how are we even compete with these guys? These guys are all great. They're on Sports Illustrated. They're this and that. You know, he used that. And uh, so it was great. It was a hometown. Um, it was kind of weird though that after the game of all the Super Bowls though. The funny little story is that the game ended and there was like nothing planned. I don't know if they thought maybe we weren't ever going to win the Super Bowl, 
but it was just like you put your clothes on. We kind of left the game. There was no party afterwards or nothing. And all the other Super Bowls, we had those things. It was so. I think that I think even our, our old owner Eddie DeBartlos talked about trying to get all the guys together from that team and maybe still celebrating because we never really did that. It's Eddie DeBartolo Jr. and he was a big part of obviously the success in investing in players. How was he as an owner? Because I think he was a little ahead of his time. You see more of the owners more involved in, uh, but what was he like as an owner? He was great. Uh, you know, he 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 loved his guys. He was willing to. Uh, at that time, there wasn't a salary cap, so you could spend what you wanted. You know, as far as players, and he did that. You know, we he went out and we'd bring a guy like Jim Burt was a was a defensive uh, nose tackle. It was just brought into paid him a lot of money to just to play play backup. And, um, you know, he was great with his guys. He, uh, he worked hard. Um, he enjoyed the team. That was something that he, you know, his dad gave it to him for a gift. And, um, but he was a great owner. And, and yeah. The, you know, Joe Montana was the MVP of that first Super Bowl you were part of. And you got guys like Joe Montana and Ronnie Lott in that locker room. But that leadership, when you walk through the door, you joined the Niners. That leadership had to already have established a bunch of culture. Well, you know, they had won in 82, and there were still guys that were around from that. So they had that experience and whatnot. And, and, um, but it was just uh, when you're playing with a guy like Ronnie Ott or Joe Montana, you know, I just had come from Dallas, and so I wasn't really quite, you know, sure. We, we weren't a great team when I came from there. Also, they came to the 49ers and uh, Joe Montana and, uh, Freddie Solomon and, and Dwight Clark, the catch. Uh, I, mean, I was just kind of in awe of just playing with some of those guys. Our guest, Mike Walter, former 49ers linebacker and three-time Super Bowl champion. Your second Super Bowl uh, comes four years later, Super Bowl twenty-three. It's the Niners and the Bengals. It's the Joe Robbie Stadium in Miami. Um, it is uh, it is a rematch of, uh, you know, the seven years earlier, the Super Bowl. Sam Weich against Bill Walsh. It's you know, two good friends in coaching, and Jerry Rice has his MVP performance, and uh, of course, uh, the the John Candy moment on offense uh, with with uh, Joe Montana in the huddle. And but, uh, what do you remember of that one? Because that one had to be a little different, given that you know it's in Miami. Well, you're right. Jerry Rice gets the MVP, but uh, John Taylor made the play of the game. He made the catch. You know, so we're down. Uh, we're down. Uh, 16-13. Yes, 16-13, and uh, there's, what, three minutes, 20 seconds left to go in the game, and then, you know, Joe comes down the field and does a precision drive, and just it's just a thing of beauty. And during the drive, he has time to look up in the stands to see John uh, John Candy and, and say in the huddle, like, hey, guys, look up there in the front row there. There's John Candy, just <laughs> to kind of get everyone settled down. But, you know, only Joe could do that. Um but anyway, uh, John Taylor catches that touchdown pass. But that was a great game. That was the, the, the Icky Woods and uh, Boomer Esaias and uh, Chris Collinsworth was the receiver on that team. So, yeah, they had some good players. Yeah, that was Collinsworth's last game. I think he retired after that game. And, you know, it was kind of the, his last opportunity to kind of do something. But, you know, Montana, I, I know when we watch, like, the, uh, you know, the NFL Films version of that game, you, you see the people on the – on the Bengals sideline going, that's too much time for Joe. Give me an idea from your standpoint as you're watching the offense go onto the field and, you know, 
You've got, you know, the ball inside their own 10-yard line. You need to go get into field goal range to maybe force, force overtime or score a touchdown, like 92 yards away from winning the game. How are you feeling, and, and what are you guys saying to each other on the sideline? You know, I remember being on the sideline, and, and it, was, it was a weird deal because it's like I think everyone on our team kind of knew that Joe was going to get it done because he had done it so many times before, and he was just that kind of player. And you could feel it in the stands that the people in the stands kind of knew that it was going to take place. But the weirdest part is that you looked over at the other team and you could almost tell that they knew what was going to happen too. And it was just, I mean, Joe had done it so many times before and it's just like, here he goes again. You know, people will talk about his poise. He has said since that, you know, his heart was just pounding internally, but he did not exude that in the huddle. How important is that when you're in those moments to have a quarterback who is calm and methodical and making plays and can kind of lock in and focus that way. Well, what the Netflix show they did on Joe, if anyone wants, is a big Joe Montana fan, they should watch that. It's really interesting. In fact, I loved watching it going back, and it brought back some good memories and some things that I had even forgotten about. But it's called, you know, under pressure. And Joe was just so good under pressure. I mean, he, he was just, you know, Joe was just like an average ordinary guy kind of when you're hanging out with him but uh, on the field he just had a way of getting things done that he could control things and he could dominate you know just uh, just amazing uh, amazing ability to to take control that that one certainly had drama that second super bowl that you were a part of and i got to ask you too with bill walsh you know yeah there were a lot of you know there's cases today where coaches lose the locker room you have egos that sort of grow out of control. How did he manage? How did he manage all those guys? Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, Ronnie Lott. You know, you you mentioned that he had Charles Haley who came in for that Super Bowl. And, you know, when you have a locker room that has those kinds of personalities, how, how does a head coach manage that? Russ Francis, there's a guy that woke up every day and you never knew what he was going to do. And, and, and no one could control a guy like that but, but Bill Walsh. That you know, as you get older and you're in business and you you know you see the way uh, you know companies are run or organizations are run, and you realize that the successful ones are they're there for a reason because they have good management. And Bill, of all the coaches I played for, had that ability to to handle everybody and to to, to deal with people. I mean, he treated you know, Mike Walter a lot different than he treated Russ Francis and he treated Joe Montana different. But he had that ability to kind of step outside the box and treat each individual player differently to get the most out of them. That, that was Bill's greatest gift, or his, I think is his best skill. Better than calling plays, better than doing you know the West Coast offense, whatever it was. It was how he could deal with individual players. Now, Russ Francis, for people who don't know, passed away in October. And, you know, I thought about calling you at the time, but tell us a little bit about what he was like as a teammate. I know he came out of retirement to play that one year, and you guys won the Super Bowl with him. Yeah, okay, so Russ, I, I grew up in Eugene as a kid. Russ was probably six years older than me, maybe. And so as a junior high kid going to Oregon football games, I mean, he was, he was a god. You know, he was my favorite player as a kid. And so uh, I get in the league, and uh, I'm playing uh, at Dallas. My first year I get for Dallas. Things don't work out real well, so I end up getting released and get picked up by San Francisco. And your first day at every job is just 
absolutely awful. I mean, it's, just, you know, it's, it's always, you're nervous, you're this or that, whatever. Um, but I thought, ah, Russ Francis, he went to Oregon. I went to Oregon. I'll have this great connection. You know, that would be my kind of, you know, to make it easier for me, I'll just, you know, I'll have rest. And so we get into practice the very first, uh, the drill, they, they, they say we're, we're servicing the, the team or doing scout team. And they say, well, just get on the tight end on this one, just jam them and then drop to the curl or whatever. So I get up on Russ and at Dallas, we practiced really hard at 49ers. Not so. And then I found out that with Russ Francis was even less. He did, he was on his own program. So <laughs> Russ, Russ comes off the ball and I jam him and I drop back to the hook. Well, I didn't know that I actually hit him in the Adam's apple really hard <laughs> whatever so the next play they say okay let's play here just same thing just jam the tight end and drop to the hook you know so i line up the ball snap and russ just steps right across the line grabs me by my face mask throws me to the ground and it's game on i mean i gotta fight the guy because you're the new guy and you know there's russ and so we get this huge giant fight and uh, they break us up finally, and I get in the huddle, and all the defensive guys think, like, what an idiot. But they're like, hey, good job. Do that again. Great job, Mike. <laughs> so oh. I go home. I get, I get done. I just want to go back to my hotel room and just, like, find the shower curtain and hang myself because it's just, uh, yeah, you know, right. like, how did I? That, that, was, that was my end, and I just totally blew it. <laughs> uh, so this is we are talking about Bill Walsh and his great gifts. So the next day we're out of practice, we're stretching, and he's like, Mike, come here. Calls me over. He goes, Russ, come over here. And so he pulls us to the side where I've been stretching. He's like, what's the deal, man? You got a couple ducks here. What, you know, what, what, what's the deal, you know? But, and then from that on, everything was perfect with Russ and I. But that's, that's what Bill could do. Bill, I was, I was an example of what Bill did there, you know. So, but it was out my story. And Russ, was, Russ was a great teammate. And, and in, as an athlete, like I, you know, I've heard so many stories about him, you know, watched him on the superstars as a kid, right on ABC sports. Uh, you know, he's, he, he's been, he was involved in wrestling, you know, basically the, the, uh, the equivalent of WWE. And then, but he was just an amazing athlete, wasn't he? Yeah. He flew his plane to practice every day and, um, no, he was a great athlete. Um, Russ was, a um, you know, I, yeah, he was he was an exceptional athlete and a smart guy and a witty and did everything. I mean, he skydived, he windsurfed, he flew three different planes. He, he I mean, the rest woke up every day and decided what he was going to do the rest of his life. It was a, he was an amazing guy. <laughs> I love it, Mike Walter with us, three-time Super Bowl champion. That third Super Bowl, Super Bowl twenty-four, um, absolute knockout. George Seifert's the coach now. Walsh has moved on. 55-10 is the final. Um, what did that experience feel like? Because I, I, you know, watching that game, I think it was something like 27 to three at halftime. Never really felt like it was a game, and and Joe Montana was just on. Yeah, he was. I, I remember that game because um, I actually had an interception that game. So uh, coming out uh, after, uh, first of all, the half times are so long at Super Bowls. So you play these regular regular season games and even the championship games, but the Super Bowl, they're, you know, they're having that giant, uh, you know, party out there and musical thing going on. So you're in the locker room and the coaches talk to you and then, then they run out of things to say and you're still sitting there and you're used to being <laughs> out on the field again. And you're like looking for your backgammon board to play with the guy next to you or something, you know, cause it's just, it's just taking forever, you know, but uh, you know, we, we back out in the field 
and we wanted to start strong. And uh, uh, I end up they end up throwing a little uh, kind of a a pass they had thrown earlier, and I actually got beat on, and I actually kind of recognized her right off the bat, and I caught it for an interception, and uh, uh, was tackled just afterwards. But uh, um, I, the, the funny thing about that was is that uh, my brother, who was at the game, he uh, was going to the University of Oregon at that time, and he was in a fraternity, and he came back, and everyone was like high five and talking about how great the game was and everything. And, and my brother's like, well, how about my brother's interception? And they're like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> Because I guess the cable in my home cam, the cable went out oh, or the electricity no. went out for like five minutes right when I got my interception. So no one ever saw it. <laughs> Mike Walter picked off John Elway's first pass of the second half. Joe Montana threw a 28-yard touchdown pass on the next play. Uh, that will forever be in the books. Uh, Elway, did Elway tackle you? Who tackled you on the interception? No, you know, so the funny thing is that they give you, uh, you, you get game balls if you have like a good game or something great. So I got a, I got a game ball, that the actual ball that I intercepted when you take it off the sideline, they actually take it and they paint it up and they, they put a logo on it and they'll, they'll say like, you know, Mike Walter and they'll have the, the Super Bowl logo on it. It'll say, and mine says, Mike Walter, two yard interception return. And I'm like, oh, why, why didn't they just put, Interception. You know, interception. But yeah, yeah, two yard. Now the receiver the receiver caught me from behind. That's just a, keeping your ego in check. You know what I mean? Like exactly. here exactly. are these exactly. great moments. You're still walking around with three Super Bowl rings, so that's not too bad. Uh do you wear the rings? Uh no, I don't. I go I go years without putting them on my fingers. I, I had them out the other day. My daughter had a little uh, party during the championship game, and I brought him over there, and she had a bunch of friends over, and they all got the they all got the look. On. But I, you know, I don't I don't really wear them too much. I'll take them out, you know, this week or bring them in the office to show people. But uh, I don't wear them too much. No. The uh, you know some of the 49ers are going to Vegas yesterday uh, on the show. We had your old teammate uh, on to kind of talk about the good old days and. Uh, you know, but why not go to Vegas? Are you just uh, are you not wanting that scene, or you had enough of it three times? Well, you know, I've never been there as a spectator, and um, I, it, it, me personally, I actually made a call and tried to get some tickets for the championship game because mm. the, the truth is that is from an from a from a standpoint of spectator. There's nothing like the championship games uh, because it's just at someone's home field. You're either playing back in Chicago or you're playing at your home field. It's like the greatest environment ever. The Super Bowl is just kind of a it's a party. It's a you know, and it's I mean, it's still a great thing, but you know, it's 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 very corporate. It's very yeah. you know, people from wherever. I mean, you've been to a championship game before, haven't yep. you, John? Yeah. You, oh you, yeah, I huge mean, difference. There's nothing like it. I mean, without a doubt, those are my two favorite games of the year, the two championship games. And the Super Bowl is just, as a player, every you get, you're such a routine. You play once a week. I mean, the, I, one thing about playing, I, I got so tired of the routine because I could tell you exactly on Wednesday's practice, the third period, you know, how many plays we were going to take of, you know, seven on seven, how many we were going to take of nine on seven, and you know, I mean, it's just very, you know, you knew exactly what you're going to do. And you'd get ready for a, a game in one week, and you do the same thing, everything for 11 years, you know. And all of a sudden, you get to the Super Bowl, and you got this extra week. And you've, you, you've already prepared. We've prepared just like we were going to play, like, on this Sunday, and you have another week to go. 
And um, I hated it because then, like, George Seifert was just famous for, like, you know, finding out, like, this coach from the other team, when he was a high school coach, did this. And we would spend all kinds of time practicing on things that they were never going to do just because we had all this extra time. And you just wanted to get there. You just wanted to play the game. Let me tell you, all those guys are just they're, – they're ready to play. They've been ready for, you know – they're just uh, they're just waiting around for another week, and they're going to do all the Super Bowl stuff when you get there. But yeah, yeah, you're right about the feel of the game. It's it's very sterile. It's corporate. The timeouts are long. The halftime is long. It almost feels like you know I've watched from the press box, and I and I go, gosh, are they aware there's supposed to be a football game that's played here? Like commercials and the halftime show have dominated this thing, and. Uh, you know, I hope it gets back to the football, right? Uh, give me an idea of what you see with these teams. As a defensive guy, you look at the Niners, you look at the Chiefs. What, do you, what kind of game do you think we're going to see on Sunday? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I, I, I like the Niners. Got to like them because, I, you know, that's, that's my team. Um, but I, I'll tell you something about the, the Chiefs and, you know, Patrick Mahomes. If there's a quarterback that I really just feel like – going to give you fits if it comes down it's a close game at the end i mean he's the best guy out there i really do i think he's i think he's just phenomenal but what the 49ers have done this year well last week i mean after the first half if, if that team shows up we're we're in trouble so we need to we need to bring our second half football team out there right. but I, I look forward to being a, a close game which scares me because of mahomes i don't want a close game because i think he's just so good in close games, but I, I, I think the Niners have the overall better team, and I, I, I'm going to go with the Niners, of course. Yeah, and I think, you know, here's the other thing, Mike, like, you know, you, you've you been around the game a long time. I always feel like if you're in the playoffs and you don't play well, you probably get beat, but what does it say about the Niners that, you know, that it's been about a C, C minus, C plus sort of performance in both those games, and that yet they've found a way to win. Like, I want to chalk that up as a positive somehow. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't watch all their games, but it seems like the ones I went down to a game, I went to the alumni game when they played Cincinnati. I went to, and uh, they played terrible after, you know, being the, the best team in the league for a while. So I haven't been really good luck for them, and I, 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 I was really – uh, kind of behind them the beginning of uh, last week, and it sure didn't uh, didn't start off very good. So, give me an idea. You know, you're a kid who grew up, you know, Sheldon High School, born in Salem, go to high school in Eugene, um, go to the University of Oregon, get to the NFL. I'm I'm thinking about another kid that that has that same path, Justin Herbert. Uh, you know, I know. Did his dad coach you? Is that right? When you were growing no, up. It- no, his uh, his grandfather actually coached. He was he was oh. my uh, biology teacher, my track coach. Uh, he was a football position coach. He didn't coach my position, and uh, was my cycling. I was a big cycling guy. He was my cycling mentor. I, I used to do five hundred mile trips in the summer with him. We'd we'd go camping. Another teacher from from high school. I was good buddies with, and uh, they're still great friends today. But uh, that was his uh, his grandfather, Roger Herbert. And um, his son, Mark, who's, who's actually uh, uh, Justin's father, was my brother's friend. So they, they grew up together. I, I love that, you know, you have um, this connection and you can, you know, but what do you think Herbert's been through having three college coaches, now three head coaches in the NFL? And it's got to be really hard to get some momentum that way. Yeah, he has been, you know, and 
um, I tell you, I, I've loved that kid from the first time I saw him play. And I remember going to the Oregon games, and I'm sitting there, and and the fans are fans, and uh, and I remember people talking about like they wanted to bench him, they didn't think he was doing good, and I, and I I'm looking at this kid, and I'm saying like that is one of the best quarterbacks I've seen. I mean, I was so impressed with him at Oregon. Now, did they utilize him perfectly? Probably not, but. Um, the guy had all the talent in the world. I am the biggest. I mean, I, I, I do watch the 49ers. I probably watch more Charger games now just because of Justin. Great family. I mean, uh, just just a great story. Right, yeah, I love it. I love that. You know, will you watch the game? You're having a party at your house. How are you going to watch the game? You know, last week I went to my daughter's house, and she said she's going to have another party at hers. So I I kind of like to if if I'm really into a game I I kind of like sitting on the couch kind of by myself where I can watch mm-hmm. the game I'm not a big uh, if it was somebody playing in the Super Bowl I really didn't care about I might go out with a bunch of people and kind of hang out but I kind of like to really kind of get into the game and uh, listen to what the announcers are saying and um, uh, yeah get up and I don't care about the commercials too much <laughs> so right. just want to watch the game. Mike Walter, I appreciate you joining us. Three-time Super Bowl champion. Interception in the Super Bowl. He picked off John Elway. It's in the books. They can never take that away from you, Mike Walter. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me on. You bet. There he goes. Mike Walter. I love that interview. If you you missed any of it, grab the podcast of it. Won three Super Bowls with the Niners. He knows what it takes to get there, stay there. And uh, and play in those big games. Uh, what a uh, what a wonderful career! Ten plus years in the NFL. Coming up in the five o'clock hour, JJ Burden, former wide receiver with the Kansas City Chiefs. We're equal access here on this program. Like I said, love that interview with Mike Walter, former 49er, three-time Super Bowl champion. Anna's popped into the studio. Anna is fresh off throwing my lunch away today. By the way, can I tell a story here, Stephen? I would love, after that tease, yeah, I want to hear what the rest of the story this is. I can't even wrap my head around what happened today. Okay? Super busy day, you know, interviewing, uh, setting up interviews with Jake Dickert, Mike Walter, J.J. Burden, uh, reaching out to the mayor of Las Vegas, trying to get her booked on the show, mayor of Beaverton, trying to get her booked on the show, mayor of Portland, trying to figure out why I'm getting crickets in return there. Um in in the meantime, I had to run a couple of quick errands, said to Anna, you know what? There's this teriyaki chicken place I like. Let's pop in there. I'm real hungry. So uh, we uh, order, and Anna and I sit, and I only had time to eat like half of the lunch. And so I had a to-go box, and I put it in the to-go box and handed her two to-do to go containers while I took the tray and her empty plate to go give it to the proprietor of the uh, little uh, teriyaki place. And as I turn back around, I'm watching her throw my to-go boxes in the trash. <laughs> like, what? I can't what was that? I can't explain it. I can't explain it. It was just, I we were tidying up and... I just spaced it and I threw it away and I tried to rectify the yeah. situation as quickly as I could. Right. You know, it had one of those trash cans, Stephen, that has the flap on it, like the swinging saloon doors, the garbage can. <laughs> and so she had dropped my styrofoam containers into the trash. And then the my jaw dropped as I turned around. I was like, 
She just threw my lunch away. <laughs> and uh, my jaw dropped, and she then went, like, all the way to her shoulder trying to reach <laughs> into the trash receptacle, and she pulled it back out. She retrieved it. and But it was upside down. Mm. And it was dripping teriyaki sauce. But it was fine. It stayed close. <laughs> and I said, never it mind. Close. I don't want it now. It's okay. Pass. What was that? Oh. What are you doing? What is that? You just kind of go into a protocol or what? Like this? Like what happened there? Explain that to me. I don't know. We were just in the process of tidying up. And normally I'm very conscious of not wasting food i mean i just grew up where it's like you got to clean your plate if you have to go even if you don't like the food you're taking it to go if you don't finish it that's you know my credo but for some reason in that moment i just had a a space case moment never again and i threw your food away and i realized it in horror and tried to fix it it's okay. I forgave you, but I'm never handing you my to-go box so again. He was so mad, Stephen. He was so mad. I was annoyed. I kind of, I kind of John's side on this one. I mean, what are you doing, Anna? I mean, it's lunch. You can't be throwing lunch out. <laughs> Thank you. And here's the sad part. I was really hungry, okay? And I had, I had very carefully, like, separated half the teriyaki and half the rice. And this isn't my style. I'm normally just like, eat it all, eat it now. There's no tomorrow. You know, and I had separated half of it, and I said, I'm just going to eat this right now, and then I'm going to save the rest for later because um, I don't have time right now to sit here and finish this. Like, I need to get back and get into the studio, and, and she threw it away. And the lady who owns and operates the teriyaki place just laughed. She was laughing, and I was like, I guess that's, you know, that's what happens. Never again. You'll never again I will I hand you. <laughs> Any of that. So that happened. That's a thing. Uh, Bruce in Portland has called in. He's got a question. Bruce, what did you have for lunch? I have a question for you. What did you eat for lunch? John, I usually pack lunch. I'm one of those guys that doesn't go out. I have, I'm actually a pretty healthy eater. I have fruit. I have strawberries, apples, peaches, usually a sandwich, turkey or something like that. Okay. A not protein bad. bar, you know, trail nice. mix, stuff like that. Cool. I like um, that. Thank you. I would fall asleep. If I went out and ate a big lunch for uh, at any point, I'm a guy that just kind of dozes off after lunch and can't make it through the afternoon as, as alert as I'd like to be. You know, and I was um, craving the teriyaki chicken. I don't know why. Maybe my blood sugar was low or something. And I was like, I need that teriyaki chicken. And so I was like, I haven't gone to that place in like a year. And there it was, yeah, thrown a, in the trash. Especially as a leftover, you know, stuff like that reheats pretty well. So. I know. I'd be a little disappointed. Anna, I think you might owe him a trip to the back to the teriyaki place for dinner tonight or something. Oh you know? my gosh. He won't his pride, <laughs> he won't accept it. He'll be like, No. It's no. over. The moment was nice, but <laughs> the moment's on. gone. <laughs> uh, what's up, Bruce? What's on your mind? Hey, I've got uh baseball I called last week, but obviously this new announcement on the red tail, it's brought the public awareness to a new level and the pushback that I've read and seen on some of the social sites is about 90% against and maybe 10% for mainly because of infrastructure and other issues, neighborhood. But uh, what happened, I've got, and I've been researching a little into baseball in Portland period, and you might've already visited this topic, but the Hillsboro Hawks and the location, you know, Ron Tonkin stadium out there and the MLB's, push to make them rebuild and up that stadium 
at a cost of $150 million is what I'm seeing thrown out there as a number. And all the shenanigans going on behind the scenes out there. And what is why can't Major League Baseball get together with the Hawks and do the Sunset Corridor? I mean, it makes more sense. But all this stuff being done behind the scenes kind of puts everything, you know, that's, this is the whole thing why the public doesn't trust baseball. Because all of a sudden it's like, we're going to leave if you don't pay to build us a new stadium. Um, and it's essentially what's going on out there with threats. But they're $100 million short on the rebuild. How can that be? And, and like I said, maybe you already covered this because this has been yeah. going on since June. And, like, what is going on with that whole operation? Yeah, we had Kayla Wambacher, the Hops GM, on the show um, just a couple of weeks ago. But it's a really interesting thing. For people who don't know, um, Major League Baseball restructured Minor League Baseball. And what they ended up doing is they ended up saying, hey, you're going to have certain minimum requirements for the facility. Uh, and some of it is player training, the locker room, the batting cages. So there's certain things, certain requirements that minor league stadiums have to have. And this goes for the team in Eugene as well. They're struggling uh, with the improvements as well. And so the Hops initially started looking at, okay, can we improve the stadium to the point where Major League Baseball will be okay with it, the existing stadium. And then they started to, there was a water main that would have to be relocated. There were ever there were other problems. And they suddenly were like, gosh, it's almost more cost effective to just build a brand new facility and have two ballparks out there than there is to have, you know, just to do an improvement. And so the decision was made to build the Hops' new ballpark and have it be a minor league facility. It's only going to have seven or 8,000 seats, so you can't use it for a major league thing. Uh, but, you know, there have been some people who said, why not? Why couldn't you do a bigger scale stadium? And and I just don't think it works. In a, and there's, you know, again, we're talking like a major league stadium, 35,000 seat stadium. You're talking about a billion dollar project versus, uh, you know, 180 or 150 million. So as the hops began to look at this, the cost started to go up started to get more and more cost prohibitive because construction costs were rising, then, uh, you know, the hops needed some money from Washington County and they need some money for the state legislature. And also the hops ownership group said, hey, they're going to put their own money into this thing. And what it ultimately came down to was, you know, they needed $8 million from Washington County and they needed $15 million from the Oregon State Legislature. And the return that the hops were you know, looking at and pitching to Washington County and to the state was, hey, if you don't have a team here, you lose, uh, you know, you lose, you know, $30 million a year in state and local income taxes over the next 10 years that would be paid by the players and by the front office and the staff who are working there. So if you lose the operation, you lose $30 million in state and local income taxes. So they were basically saying to Washington County and to the state legislature, hey, if you put $8 million and $15 million in, you're getting it back. Like, this pays for itself over a decade in return. And so, you know, Kale Wambacher came on the show. I asked him why it was important to get state funding and county funding. And, you know, I asked him, like, like there's, other, there's other needs, right? Homelessness. Drug addiction, um, mental health initiatives. There's bigger things than baseball. But here's what K.L. Wambacher had to say about all of it. Your listeners are absolutely right. There are more important issues than sports. 
And I think our argument, especially to state legislators, is this doesn't need to be an or. Why can't it be an and? Why can't we find resources to help with homelessness and drug addiction and housing and schools? And why can't we find some money to help fund quality of life and um, entertainment and things for us to do in, in, in this market? Um, and celebrate, you know, some of the good things that we have, because quite frankly, if this facility isn't built, the team's going to be forced to leave. It's not our owners that are going to move the team because we live here in Hillsborough and enjoy it. But, you know, we'd probably sell the team and that new owner would have to move it. Danny, we went on to talk about, you know, the state would get the money back from income taxes. Our lobbyist has used the line. It's not that the state can't afford to do this. It's not that if the state can afford to do this, it's can the state afford not to do this because... If the team is lost, if this venue isn't built, um, there will be an impact to the loss of tax revenue going to the state. And then you'll miss on that upside of what the tax revenue will be if the facility's done. So Washington County today, the county commissioners approved $8 million bucks for the ballpark. And now it will go to the state legislature. They need $15 million commitment. If they get that in this session, then uh, Major League Baseball will keep the hops in Hillsborough. The stadium will get built be a nice place to go see a concert uh, during the summer and go see a we interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the bald hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast but if you want to listen to more of the bald face truth radio show including more of this segment that you're listening to make sure you subscribe on soundcloud and itunes to the bald face truth radio show thanks for listening